morning. Welcome to Munger Place. My name is Andrew. I'm the pastor here, if you're just joining us. You know, that song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, is a slave spiritual. And it's a song of faith, and it's a song of joy, it's a song of hope. And it's a song that's possible because of what we're going to talk about today. We've been working through the book of Revelation for the last two months, believe it or not. We're going to wrap up next week. You don't want to miss that, the glorious end of the book. But before we get there, we're going to have to talk to someone that we don't like to talk about often. We're going to have to talk about the last judgment. In fact, you're here today and you've brought maybe some new folks with you to visit the church. You're thinking, shoot, of all the days to bring guests. But I want to tell you, I believe that, that the message of Revelation about the last judgment is actually a message of hope. It's a message of good news and it's a message you and I desperately need to hear and it will change how we live tomorrow. Here we are, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thanks be to God for the word today. <clears throat> Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them, and then take our hearts, Lord, and light them up with fire for you and for your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what we pray. Amen. The idea of Christ as a conquering warrior is not an idea that we really like. It makes us uncomfortable. In fact, for a lot of us, the image of Jesus we like, this is certainly true of our culture, is the image of Jesus meek and mild with the children sitting on his knee, saying things like, bless your enemies, saying things like, as in the Sermon on the Mount, consider the lilies. They neither toil nor spin, but even Solomon in all his glory is not dressed like one of these. That's the Jesus we like. But the Jesus of fire, <clears throat> the white horse, the right rider on the white horse, that's the Jesus that we don't like. Because we like the idea of a loving God, but I, I just think that our idea of what love is like is a false idea. In fact, any love that doesn't want the best for the object of the love, for the beloved, is not really love at all. It's just sloppy sentimentality. In fact, what our world desperately needs is a God who's going to love it fully. Not halfway, not sentimentally, but with everything. In other words... <clears throat> I believe Willie Nelson was right, or at least half right. Check this out. You include the lyrics to your song, Come On Back Jesus, in this book, which is a pretty lovely image, because you're asking him to bring John Wayne along with him when he comes. Right. How come? Why Jesus and John Wayne? Well, you know, things have gotten tough down here. I think he needs to bring a little muscle when he comes along. <laughs> come on back, Jesus. Pick up John Wayne all the way. 
time to take off the glove. They just don't respect peace anymore. But if you have old John Wayne, we know he can swing from the floor. While he kicks their butts, we'll just stand there and watch him and pray. So come on back, Jesus, and pick up John Wayne on the way. Come on back, Jesus. You know, for the record, I just want to tell the kids in here, I do, not, I do not condone the use of the word butts in church, okay? Willie was right, or at least he's half right. Willie Nelson has, has lived long enough and has the eyes to see and the honesty admit that we have a world that's messed up. And any sort of idea of a love of God that's just going to come and baptize the status quo and pat us on the head and tell us things are okay, it's not really any kind of loving God at all. Imagine you have two kids, you're a parent, and they're playing in the living room, and they each have a toy, and the older one wants the toy the younger one has, and he walks over and hits him and takes the toy, and the younger one starts crying. Imagine then you walk in as a parent and say, because I love you so much, I'm not going to do anything about it. Even a little kid would know, well, that's not the kind of love we need or want. It's the same for our world. We have this idea in our culture that God's love is this sort of, that our Lord is sort of like some kind of cosmic Santa Claus who's just jolly all the time and just pats us on the head and gives us whatever we want. And there's a word in the Bible for what happens when we take our own ideas and put them onto God. It's called idolatry. It's idolatrous for us to create God in our image. And I'll just push you a little bit. If the image... And the vision of the Christian Lord doesn't at times make you uncomfortable. You're not listening. Jesus says lots of things that make us feel good. He also says a lot of things that are hard to hear, that are difficult. But we don't have the choice just to choose the things that we want and ignore the rest. Again, that's called idolatry. In fact, I'd suggest that if we are, and I'm a church person, if I'm not sometimes made uncomfortable by the words of Christ, then I'm not really listening. And I'll, I'll even go further than that. I, I'd say I'm not really growing. Because I'll, I'll say this about me. I don't know if this is true for you. There are parts of my life that are not the way that God wants them to be. And God's love meets me right where I am without any conditions. But he loves me too much to leave me the way I am. He loves me so much he wants to pull me into the person that he's created me to be. So this idea of a... <clears throat> Of a God who judges, who comes in judgment. Who, did you get that great last verse there? Who treads the winepress of the fury of God. There's that great Civil War hymn, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampled out the vision where the grapes of wrath are stored. That's a quotation from Revelation. So you can't just say to the one who is the slave, when confronted with the slave owner, don't worry about it. It's okay. Just accept your lot. That's a failure to love. And there's one thing we know about God. God loves the world. God is love, the scriptures tell us. And so then, if the image of Jesus coming in judgment and glory and power doesn't fit our idea of love, I'd say we need to change our idea of love. Because God's love is a love that's complete, that's pure, holy, and fiery. It wants the best for his creation. Tonight is the Academy Awards. 
And if tonight is like most nights, most of the films that are nominated and that will win awards are going to be pretty forgettable. If you want to do something interesting, go back through an almanac and look at some of the Oscar winners from years past. And some of these movies, you're thinking, what? I've never heard of that. A lot of them just kind of fade away, as maybe they shouldn't. But maybe tonight there will be one or two movies that stick out because of the message they tell. This was the case in a movie that I saw several years ago. It's called The Lives of Others. It's a German movie, but its English title is The Lives of Others, and it won the Best Foreign Language Oscar in 2007. And it's about East Germany. It's typically about the Stasi, the East German secret police. And it begins in 1984, and it's a grim movie, and it shows how the Stasi wanted to control all aspects of the people's lives, not just their actions, but even their thoughts. And it shows just what it's like to live in a totalitarian society in which freedom is frowned upon and any independent action is seen as treasonous and in which the people who work for these bureaucratic machines grind up innocent lives for their own purpose and advancement. I'm not giving anything away to tell you there's a minor character in the movie who's an upper-level functionary in the Stasi. He's a disgusting man, uh, evil, he's a rapist. He uses his position to torture and abuse other people. Well, the movie begins in 1984 when communism is still going strong in East Germany, but it goes up through the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and then the reunification of West and East Germany into the current state of free Germany. And one kind of sickening scene near the end of the movie is when you see this same guy who had been a functionary in a high level in the Stasi parlay his position into a position of political power in the new unified Germany. And from the point of view of the people who are the protagonists in the movie, you just think, is there no justice? Is there no justice in this world? See, Willie Nelson was half right. This is a world that's a mess. And any love that's going to come along and tell us the world is okay as it is, is not a love at all. It's a lie. And any love that's going to come along into my life and to tell me that exactly as I am is the way God wants me to be is a lie. It's a failure to love. <clears throat> I know almost nothing about parenting. I may even have negative knowledge, if that's possible, about parenting. <laughs> but I know enough to know that you have to say no to your children out of love. It's really hard. I'm not a very experienced parent. I only, have, I only have a little one at home. I don't know what it's like when you have older kids or adult kids. But it's hard to say no because then the child will often cry. He doesn't like it. But you know as a parent, you're saying no out of love for the child because you have something better planned. You desire something greater for him. And we all know, and maybe this is true in, in uh, families that you know really well, we all know families in which no one ever tells the children no. And you know what that is? It's actually a failure to love the children. Because little children, as well as big people like me, we need limits on our lives. It's not good for us to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want it. In fact, that's the way that's wide and leads to destruction, to quote Jesus. In the same way, any love of God, any loving God, any picture of the Lord that's just going to come along and just pat us on the heads and tell us not to worry about it is not a God who really loves his creation. I wonder if the reason for a lot of us here today, this is me, it may not be you, the reason for a lot of us, the idea of a God who comes in conquering judgment out of love for his world makes us uncomfortable 
is because a lot of us lead lives of such selfish comfort and ease. But there's others of us here today, and this is true about a lot of other people in the world, any sort of gospel message that says God's just going to leave things as they are, he's not going to right the wrongs that we do to each other, you're going to say, I don't want any part of that, God, because some of us here today in this room have experienced injustice on a deep level. Things have been done wrong to you. You've been betrayed. You've been stepped on. You've been lied to. You've been deeply hurt. And you know what you need is not a God who's just going to tell you not to worry about it, to shrug it off. You need to put your hope in a God who's going to make the wrongs right. One of the struggles that it seems like that our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church are in is over the clergy abuse scandal. And although what happened in often those cases is, is unspeakable evil, what seems to many people to be even a greater evil is that a lack of accountability, a cover-up. Because when we are wronged, we want there to be justice for those who do the wrong. And any sort of love that doesn't want that kind of justice is not a love at all. The people in Egypt several years ago overthrew their government. And yet they're still rioting today in Tahrir Square because they want the people who had done the wrong things, those who had run the Egyptian secret police and tortured young people and done evil things for years and years and enriched themselves on behalf of their, uh, at the expense of their country, they want those people to face justice. And if they don't, they say something's wrong. See, Willie Nelson was half right. We need Jesus to come back with a little muscle, as he says. But he's not all the way right. Because Willie, in, earlier in the interview, he talks about how he doesn't go to church anymore. Willie either has forgotten or never heard the end of the story. Often our idolatrous picture of Jesus is this Jesus meek and wild. He just sits with the lambs on his lap and says nice things and pats us on the head. But even in the Gospels, the one who says love your enemies also says to the religious hypocrites, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. The same one who talks about the love of the father in that great parable of the prodigal son also tells parables in which people who don't care for the least of these find themselves outside in outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We've created a false idea of God that needs to be knocked over like all idols, replaced with the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who both loves the world passionately, who is crucified for it, but loves it too much for it to stay the way that it is. Hence, the value of John's revelation. Maybe it sounds crazy, particularly if you grew up with revelation being used to beat you over the head. I've come to love this book. I love its message. I think it's such an important message that we need to hear. That one day in John's vision, Christ will come back conquering. And those who set themselves up against the ways of God in this world will ultimately face his righteous love. Face his righteous love. Now, if you're here today. And you have taken a stand for what's right in your family, you've made a hard decision at work, and you've been punished for it, you've had a setback because you've tried to do what's right. Can I just encourage you and tell you not to give up? The message of revelation to people who are being persecuted or, or being hurt by doing what's right is hang in there, stay the course, persevere. 
And if you're here today and you're carrying a heavy burden because someone did something wrong to you either years ago or recently, you're the victim of injustice, the message of revelation is to you, wait and hope and trust because God will see, God does see, and ultimately the wrongs of this world will be righted. This is why this is good news. Maybe it sounds crazy to call it that, but I can't think of anything that I would rather hear than to know that our God sees the headlines in the newspapers the way we do, sees the cry of the suffering, sees the evil things we do to one another, the selfish ways in which we behave. I can't think of better news than to know that God sees that, knows it, doesn't want it, and one day is going to write it. Willie Nelson says, come on back, Jesus, and bring back John Wayne on the way. But the figure of Christ that the scriptures and the church give us is, is a complete figure, not some kind of caricature that we create, but in fact, God himself, uncreated, who loves in a way that challenges our sentimental, sloppy idea of love. So personally, for me, one of the things revelation means is that all the time and the opportunities God gives me to repent are for my own good. God loves me so much, he gives me opportunities to change from the ways I'm going back towards him. But the other message of revelation to me is sooner or later, those opportunities will end. Sometimes I think about the human story, human history, like a big play. We all have different parts to play in it. And sometimes when I read the headlines in the morning and see just the hard things in this world and hear your stories, I think, God, would you just come and let the curtain come down and end it now? Lord, just drop the curtain and end the story now. There's a lot of things I don't understand about the scriptures, and I'm not sure why or when God works in the way that he does. But I think one of the reasons why the Lord forbears judgment on us is to give us an opportunity to repent, to turn. It's actually out of his graciousness that he leads us to repentance. But the time won't wait forever. He won't forbear forever. Those of us here today who need to turn from the wrong things we won't have an opportunity to turn forever. Those of us here today who are being suffering, who are suffering because of the wrong things been done to us, God hears your pain, and you won't have to wait forever. Now, you may be here and you're thinking, whenever Christians or religious people talk about like a, a, a judging God, it just leads to violence and oppression and self-righteousness. And there's a sense in which that's true. I, I'm not going to deny that. I'd say we are at our worst when we take that part of God and forget the part about his gracious love. Where we see love only in judgmental sense, not in a gracious, forgiving sense. But one of the things I think that will change our perspective on that is to think about the one who's coming is the one who was also crucified. There's that great scene in John's Gospel where Doubting Thomas says, Unless I see the holes in his hands and touch the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus appears to him and he shows him his hands. 
Isn't it interesting that the risen Christ still has scars in his hands? I find that so fascinating. I don't really know why that's the case. But I wonder if part of it is to remind us that the one who is coming again to judge the living and the dead, as it says in the words of the Apostles' Creed, is the same one who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Our ultimate judge is the one who has been at the bottom, who has been persecuted, humiliated, stripped down, beaten, and crucified for his love for the world. It's not sort of a judging love that has no relationship to the sins and brokenness and hurts of the world. It's a God who knows exactly what it's like to be on the other end of it. It's a God of grace who loves the world too much to allow it to remain the way it is forever. The risen Lord, the one who comes on the white horse in John's great image, who has the name Lord of Lords and King of Kings, he's also the one that has the scars in his hands. <clears throat> Miroslav Volf is a Croatian theologian. And he writes a lot about what happened in his homeland in the early 1990s. You know, we, we live over here, at least I live in a safe place and very comfortable. And I read about what happens in other parts of the world, but often it just seems far away. It's hard to really get my mind around. I recently read a book, though, about the evils that were being done in Croatia and in Serbia and in Bosnia in the 1990s. And it sort of changed my perspective. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be living in a peaceful village one day and have people come in from the neighboring village, raise your buildings, burn them to the ground, slit the throats of the men and boys, do unspeakable things to the women and girls, and go off their way and face no justice, no judgment? That is, in fact, the experience of not just millions of people around the world, but the people who lived in Croatia about 20 years ago. And Miroslav Volf says, he says, I find this very interesting, he says, any idea of a God who is just going to baptize and bless the status quo is a God whose followers will themselves be led into violence. Miroslav Volf says, the only way that we can be a people of nonviolence is to believe in a God who ultimately is going to judge and make things right. Isn't that interesting? And I think he's exactly right. The only way you can go to someone who's experienced wrong and injustice and evil and hate and give them hope for the future, an opportunity of nonviolence and peace is to tell them that God sees their pain and one day the Lord will make it right. So rather than being a message of, of hate or fear to say that God is going to come and judge the world and make things right, I think it's a message of grace and hope and it's good news. So here's, here's what I want you to do this week. And even in the next few minutes in our service. I want you to think about those parts of your life. That God is calling you to turn away from. See I, I, I don't know all of our stories. We're all at different places. But I do know that all of us have parts of our life. That are not the way God wants them to be. I want you to take an honest look and think about those parts of your life, and I'll think about my life, and take advantage of the opportunity that God gives us, however many days, weeks, years we have ahead of us, to turn away from them, to turn them over to Him, to submit to His Lordship. But I also want you, if 
you're struggling, if you're carrying a burden, I want to challenge you to take that and give it to the Lord and say, God, you're the one who's going to make things right. All I have to do is remain faithful and love my enemies. You're the one who will ultimately do what needs to be done to those who have done bad things to me. I'd like to encourage you to take that burden and give it over to God. And then three, I'd like to encourage you and me to be praying for those who are in the world who are in a position in which all they can do right now is wait and hope. We should be on our knees every day saying, God, give us the grace and strength to wait and hope until you come again. Give us the trust to know that you're the one who's going to make things right and we don't have to do it. And God, give us the kind of love for our brothers and sisters and for the world that you have created that loves it too much to allow it to remain the way it is, to shrug our shoulders, to turn a blind eye to the sufferings of the innocent. God, give us the courage to see what's wrong with the world and in the power of the Spirit do what our hands can do to make it better while we wait for you to come and make it totally right. Perhaps it's a harsh word to talk about the conquering, judging, coming Christ, but I believe it's the good news, news that we need to hear. Because one day, the things that are wrong will be made right. The things that are unjust will be made just. The hurt will be healed. And evil will be redeemed and overcome. That's the message of Revelation and that's where the story is going. So those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we collect our offering today, I want to remind you, we're collecting, uh, we have a food drive for City Square, their food bank. And you, there's bins around the church, you can give actual donations in the bin, but also you can write a check and put it in the offering plate and just earmark it City Square and we'll put the funds right into them. And often, you know, like one dollar can buy a heck of a lot more through the food bank than we can ourselves. If you're here as a guest, we don't expect you to give, although of course you're welcome to participate. And I just want to draw your attention to the song that Kate's going to sing for us. It uses this Hebrew phrase, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. There's a lot of different names for God in the scriptures. This is one from the Old Testament. But our God is a God Almighty. Which I think is a word sometimes we need to hear. It's a God who is so strong, he can be weak in the cross. And revise our ideas of strength. But it's a God who is so, so strong that he's able to overcome and redeem the evils of this world. So I encourage you to listen and think in the stillness of this place to the words of this great song. El Shaddai.